You are listening to the Restore Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by one of our very own. For more information, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash IamRestore or online at IamRestore.org. So if you guys can follow me into Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 28, we're going to consider a lot of verses today. Chapter 16. Verses 13 to 28. Amen. Before we get into the scripture reading, I do want to give you a heads up. Um, Today's message may come off as strong, but just be reminded that as a preacher, we receive the word first before you do. Meaning we have to live it. We have to be corrected by it. We have to be convicted by it, most importantly. And we also have to be transformed by it. All right. So I would never bring a word to you that those four things haven't happened. Um, and, and by the grace of God, uh, you know, I hope that you receive this message today. Amen. All right. So let us con- start reading. And it states, and the word of God is read in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, and this is Peter, um, just in case you guys want to know. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And for those of you guys wondering why the bar is there, in other translations, it literally says Simon, son of Jonah. Um, It's a Jewish word. Uh, And and for the flesh, excuse me, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I mean, what is Peter thinking? Eh? But he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what it will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man come into his kingdom. Amen. The word of the Lord. Father, in your name, Jesus, I come before you, bowing down as your servant, Father, Asking you, Father God, to take full control of the word that is going to come forth. 
Lord, I thank you for the privilege and the honor of bringing a word to your people, Father. I pray, Father God, that as your word states, Father God, it shall go out and not return, not return void. And Father God, that in your name, Jesus, it may strengthen, equip us, and remind us, Father God, that you still love us, that you still have grace over us, Father God, and that you have reminded us, Father God, of who we are in you. Father God, we thank you, Lord, and we honor you this day, Lord. Use your humble servant in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Amen. Um, for those of you guys wondering what today's topic is, if you guys watch my Facebook Live video, thank you very much if you did, <laughs> which most of you did. Um, today's topic is We Are the Church. Now, as you guys know, the We Are series is going to break down and kind of go off of everything that we learned about being crew members. But uh, crew members also have to be reminded of what their function is within the church. But before you know what to do within the church, you have to know what the church is, right? So we are the church is, is just, we're going to talk about everything today. <laughs> so when we consider the church's history and Christianity as a whole, we find that the church suffered much persecution for its faith throughout its hundred years. Its first hundred years, it really suffered a lot of persecution. It was not until the rise of Emperor Constantine, not Emperor Palpatine, right? Emperor Constantine, I will get re I'll wake all the nerds up here and here today. <laughs> it was not until the rise of Emperor Constantine in 313 that Christianity was legalized and allowed to be practiced. And if you guys are wondering who Emperor Constantine is, he's also responsible for bringing the Council of Nicaea, which is where the Nicene Creed emerges from in 325. Um, the reason why he did this is because he realized the power of Christianity, but he also wanted to have uniformity and unity amongst everybody that professed to be a Christ follower. So that's why the Council of Nicaea came, because they, there they battled out theological issues, they talked about different things that could potentially separate the church, and there they came up with the Nicene Creed. So if anything didn't line up to the Nicene Creed, then we knew you were being heretical. That's pretty much what that is, which is why on first Sundays when we read it, it's just to remind everyone in here of what we believe and what we're about. Before then, much of this persecution uh, was cause for the church to holistically embrace their spirituality and welcome death as the ultimate gift that brought them closer to their Savior. So during these persecutions, their way of knowing the mission has been accomplished is, I just died for Christ. I've been persecuted. I'm dying today, but it's okay. There's even been accounts where various church fathers would thank their persecutors for sending them to the Father. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine being peeled, your skin being peeled? Or, and yeah, that, those are the things that happen. Or being attacked and devoured in a coliseum full of animals. Or being crucified. Or whatever the case may be, they welcomed, them, they welcomed this death as the ultimate gift of be, being brought to their Savior. Amen? Later, Christianity came to be known as the religion of choice for those in power and the government and began to be seen as something we do rather than who we are. When Emperor Constantine made the command in 313, this later on, as the years passed, Christianity just became something that the government embraced. Kind of like America, right? right? Like I said, a lot of this may come off as tough, but it's really a reminder. It's... Today, we find that our brothers and sisters in third world countries and other parts of the world face the same adversity that our brothers and sisters back in the first hundred years uh, faced. They have the threat of persecution for their faith. 
While here in America, we hold the freedom to express our beliefs with no other consequences other than somebody disagreeing with you. I want you to think about that. Third world country, you believe in Christ, you're going to die. Here, you believe in Christ, I don't see it that way. That's the most that happens. You get into a debate, you get into a back and forth on Facebook, that's the most that will happen to you. Probably for believing what you believe. You'll get shunned, maybe you'll get pushed away, maybe you'll be looked at as someone who just isn't conforming to society, right? You'll be looked at in a multiple amount of ways, but at no point does anybody try to take your life for what you believe. But if we look to the world right now, and the current structure and climate that it's facing, we see that a lot of our brothers and sisters in the faith are dying. Just as in centuries before us, the church and its faith ex were exhibited as badges of conformity accepted by society. When Christianity was legalized, it was like, all right, that's the cool thing to do. This is, I'm cool. I'm in the cool kids club. I have a badge. So today we face the same issue in which going to church and subscribing to faith is just another form of acceptance within, within our societal structure. Church has become something we do rather than who we are. And Sister Elena and Brother Joma were in my message when they posted that church meme, uh, uh, the church post yesterday. I saw that and I was like, oh wow, God is speaking. <laughs> but church has really become something we do rather than who we are. And the funny thing is, is you may wonder, if he's talking about the church, what do these verses have to do with it? He's talking, it looks like Jesus was having more of a personal encounter. But if we look a little bit deeper, we can see that these verses actually foreshadow the state of the church today. All right, and I want to read 13 to 23 again for you. And it says, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, his disciples, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And it says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So here we can consider these few verses, and we see that a revelation has taken place towards Peter, reminding that he, he was able to see who Christ is. He was able to identify Jesus as the Christ, right? We see that a revelation happens here. Now, if we continue, and it says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And I want you to consider this. This is, he's literally telling him, and I tell you, you are Peter. Peter in, in the Greek is Petros, and it means rock. It, that's what it means. And you are Peter. You are rock, right? Not the rock. <laughs> you are a rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. So he's telling him, Peter, listen, I will build my church. The church is you, is what he's pretty much trying to say. Right? So, and it says, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. So here in these verses, if we were to look at what is happening within these two, the context of it, it tells us that there's a revelation happening, a revealing of who Christ is. Peter sees him, Jesus as the Christ. And then we see that in the latter verses, that there is a revelation and a reminder of who you are, Peter, right? So there's a revelation and a reminder happening in those two verses. Now, if we continue, and it says, And I will give you the keys of heaven, and we're going to skip a little bit forward. And it says, From that time Jesus began to show his, show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for the, from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So there was a revelation, there was a reminder of who Peter was, and then immediately he forgot. (laughs) In the span of a few verses. Right? We then, when we consider these verses, we come to an understanding that these verses actually foreshadow and tell a story about currently what the church is experiencing. You know what the crazy thing is? Is that just like Peter, the church received the revelation of Christ, right? And who he is. The church is then reminded of the power that it has only to soon forget it and forget its identity in pursuit of approval within today's society and pursuit of self. I want you to think about that again. Just like Peter, we received as the church a revelation of who Christ is. And then we were reminded, listen, church, you have power. And then in the next verses, we're like, well, what do we do? What, what kind of power do we have again? What is it, Jesus, that you said? I can, I can cast things. That, what is it that you said, Jesus? And that's the way the church has been living for most of these years. That's the current church that we live in right now. And I know it may seem harsh because to us, maybe we grew up with a concept of church that we're just used to. But Restore, I want to remind you that that's not who we are. We don't get a revelation of Christ. We're not reminded of who we are only to forget it. In pursuit of things within this world. He said, he told, Jesus told Peter, he told him, he said, listen, you're focusing on the things of myth, excuse me, on the things of man and not the things of God. That's what you're focusing on, Peter, right? So just like Peter, the church received the revelation of Christ and who he is and is reminded of its power only to soon forget its identity in pursuit of approval within today's society in pursuit of self. The church has taken on our identity rather than us being an embodiment of it. That's sad. It's sad when you can go into a church, an actual building, and identify who exactly created what so that it can act like this, right? When you can say that the church has the identity of the pastor or the identity of a specific leader, but it never has the identity of Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. A little bit hard, right? The church lacks love, but it's because you lack love and the church has embodied your complete personality. The church doesn't want to go out anymore to feed the hungry or or provide for the poor. Why? Because you've never in your identity ever were consumed with with the passion, with the love to go out into communities and provide for those that are underprivileged. So your church has also taken that identity as well. What you're consumed with eventually becomes a part of your identity. Church has become a place of ministries, programs, and agendas that are created to comfort, and the unfortunate truth is that they have comforted us away from the true mission and embodiment of what the church has been created and called to be. We've been so comfortable with doing church the way we've done church all these years that we've literally been dragged. It was like a lullaby. It just put you to sleep and like, I'm going to go put the baby to bed. And we've gotten away completely from what the mission of the church has always been. 
We've heard pastors preach multiple times about the Miseo Dei, about the mission of God. We come Sunday after Sunday and we hear these reminders of what the church has been called to be, about the power that it has. We empower one another, and yet we go out after Sunday and we live life the way we do. Restore, the church and mission cannot be compromised by your desire to be comforted. Ministries and programs are all great, but if their amenities become the focal point of what you see the church as, then we have lost our focus. We're completely lost. Listen, and, and, and let me be clear here as your deacon. I'm not saying that children's ministry is a bad thing. I'm not saying that these things within the church are bad things. I'm saying that when someone's showing up because they know they're getting these things, but there's nothing else to it, it's just a comfort, there's a problem. There's a problem. Acts 2 didn't happen so that you can sit and stay still and say, well, that was a good experience. Acts 2 happened and immediately they went. Acts 2 happened and they didn't sit there and go, wow, listen, he can sing. He can preach. Wow, that was nice. I'm going home. No, they immediately were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they, were, they went out immediately to fulfill the mission. So what's going on with us today? So let's see what Christ has to say about this. And I have a few questions for you guys. If the church has become a selfish reflection of everything we want out of God for ourselves, then how do we remedy this? And I have a few questions for you guys. Have you ever considered that we're not the only ones who face adversity? Have you taken the time to research the ramifications, or in ramifications, I mean consequences, of our faith in other cultures and countries. Have you ever taken time to see, hey, I can express myself freely here, but I wonder how somebody else can express itself in China or in a communist country where they don't allow religion, <laughs> where they're persecuted. They literally have to hide in houses and plan things accordingly so that they can't get caught. Funny thing is, I was reading a book um, a while ago. I was a teenager. It was called Jesus Freaks. Toby Mac actually created this book, and it was just testimonies about people around the world who died for their faith. It's just multiple believers. And one of the, uh, one of the stories actually took place with uh, a house group that would have church. And if I'm not mistaken, it was in, um, in an Asian country. But they would have to have somebody at the door watch to make sure that nobody's coming in to kind of, you know, so that they won't get caught. And one day, two policemen walk in, and they were like, wow, you just got caught. Like, we're all going to die now. And the policemen tell everybody, well, if you renounce your faith, you can leave. You're safe. So a bunch of people left the room. Only a few were left. When these people left, the policemen closed the door behind them, and they said, we're also believers. We were just trying to get the people out that didn't really believe. So have you ever considered the consequences of our faith within other countries? Have you ever sat there and just thought about that? Thought about somebody maybe in the Middle East that just, they don't believe in Christianity and Christianity is outlawed? And they're arrested or imprisoned for a long time or they can't see their families? Or just killed? Have you prayed for someone other than yourself and your needs? I'm telling you, this is tough. Because the first thing we have 
that we do as Christians is pray for ourselves. Who's guilty of it? I am. Right here. So have you prayed for someone other than yourself and your needs? Have you desired to go out and encourage and have community with others outside of just Sunday service? Have you? Well, we have needs that we ask God to fulfill, and there is nothing wrong with this, once again. It is a problem, however, when the church begins to be synonymous with being the one-stop shop for all, I'm, all of my needs. I don't know about you, but growing up, the message of Christ was always portrayed as something that was just beautiful. And there is beauty in it. But there's nothing beautiful about lying to someone and telling them that your life is going to be better after you accept Christ. There's suffering in this walk. There's tears that are going to be shed. Your faith is built upon these things. Faith untested isn't faith at all. It can't be. And this message today was not only to, is not only to remind you of, of the church, of who you are as the church, but it's just to remind you of the narrative that continues to happen throughout our society, throughout this world. In this current ecclesial structure, our selfish desire, of selfish desire, excuse me, that the church is viewed as by the world, by the world we inhabit, excuse me, let me explain that again. Um, this, self, this ecclesial structure that we live in right now, it's literally what the church sees us at, what the society sees the church as, is what I'm trying to say. If you were to think about people that visit church, and this is not that you shouldn't invite somebody to church, is that very message that we were taught as kids that everything's going to be all right with Jesus. And everything is all right, but it's because your perception changes. <laughs> Nobody ever tells you that part, though. Everybody just tells you everything's going to be all right. So we make Jesus to be a one-stop shop for all of our needs, as I said, and he becomes the, the end game for all of our problems, not realizing that Jesus himself suffered. He told you to carry your cross. So it says, And Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Next verses. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And we're going to consider those verses. Denying yourself is not the easiest thing to do, church. But it is in being the church that we actively deny ourselves. It is in being the church and doing as the church has been called to be that we're putting aside our desires and acting upon God's. And I'm going to end with this. There's so much going on in the world today. I mean, we were just praying as we were starting, right? We did the opening petitions that Brother Jomar put up. And we see that Australia has wildfires that are devouring many parts of the continent. We see that Puerto Rico is suffering earthquakes that are destroying areas massively. They've been back to back at times. They've been happening pretty much the whole week. My family personally was affected by them. My great-grandparents had to actually travel over here to avoid it because it was happening right, they were like right near the epicenter. 
we see all these petitions and we pray about them on Sunday, but our heart doesn't break. We're so desensitized to just getting what we need and leaving. And I'm sorry, but if we're going to say that we're an Acts 2 church, we have to be an Acts 2 church. There's no saying anymore. There's only acting. And just like Jesus and Peter, the conversation that they had, that's what the church has been. And unfortunately, that's what it's currently suffering. But restore, we're not that. I'm going to remind you again, we're not that. And we can't afford to be that. And this journey that we're embarking on, on becoming the church, it's a never-ending process. But it's in going and feeding the hungry. It's in going, I saw Brother Joe Moore and Sister Monica build beds for kids. It brought joy to my heart because we look at a bed and we're like, oh, they're just putting wood together. No, there's a child somewhere in our communities, maybe at the moment, that has no bed. They probably sleep on a mattress on the floor or just on the floor. We have food pantries that are filled with people that day in and day out don't know how they're going to get another meal, but they go there because they believe that they're going to get something. And at many times, these people have more faith than we do, and we're at the church. And maybe I didn't get you excited with today's message, but going forward, it's not about the excitement. It's not about the word that's being preached. It's about being the church. If we're going to be the church, let's be the church. That when we see the orphans, that when we see the widows, we're there to provide for them. That when we see somebody who is lacking less than us, we're there to provide for them. Not only in monetary needs, but maybe in prayer. Obviously in prayer, excuse me. In prayer and in just encouragement. Knowing and understanding that we don't do this for ourselves. And that's not to deny the suffering that we, that we go through. And I, I have said that about three times, but I really want to reassure you that I, I understand life happens. But it brings comfort in knowing that the overall mission on why we're suffering is never being left behind. We don't suffer for ourselves. We suffer to help others. And that, might, that may sound a little bit twisted, but it's really the truth. Look at Joseph in Genesis. Joseph told his brothers after they had sold him, he said, listen, no, no, no. He said, it's all right. He said, you don't have to say sorry to me. He said, God sent me ahead to save lives. Consider Joseph's journey. He was sold. He was framed. He was jailed. But in everything, the Lord prospered him. Everything. In everything. Even in the midst of his suffering, he was sent ahead to save lives, is what he told his brothers. And that verse always impacts me because it reminds me that you're not suffering for your own. So, Restore, if I have anything to remind you of today, is simply that if we want to be the church, it's time to be the church. The church can no longer take our identity, we have to take its identity on, onto us. Be reminded that you don't do anything for yourself. That we do it to be of help to others. That's what community is all about. That's what community is all about.
thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Restored Church. We hope that you've enjoyed this message and it has blessed you greatly. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date with sermons that are updated regularly. God bless you.